0: Praise the Lord. I tell you, God is an awesome, awesome God. He is so much better to us than what any of us realize. We get caught up in these little things. You know, you can get so upset over the traffic. Man, thank, I was telling Jamie, looking out the window, thank God we don't live here anymore. But you can get get bothered over the traffic and stuff like that and forget that God Almighty sent Jesus to die for us and get focused on that. And we get focused on all of these little things that happen. You can have an ache or a pain in your body or you can have things happening. But you know what? If you just kept your mind focused on all that God has done for us, we've just got no reason to complain If worse came to worse and you die, you go to be with Jesus forever and live in a mansion. Man, there's just no reason to be griping and complaining. We ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. And yet we're like Peter. We take our eyes off of Jesus and get to looking at the wind and the waves and we get afraid and begin to sink. And it's totally miraculous what God's doing in our life. I was visiting with Charlie today and hearing his testimony. I know I've heard it before, but you know, I slept since then. So he was reminding us of how he was changed and what God did. And I mean, he was a drug addict and a drunk and instantly within minutes, totally set free. Isn't that awesome? He's walking on water every day of his life. And you can either choose to focus on what you are doing, or you can focus on what isn't working and get all discouraged, but God is a good God. Praise the Lord. I think when we get to heaven, one of the things that's going to amaze us is why we got so upset and obsessed over insignificant things. Part of it's just because we stay so plugged into this world. If You know, I saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't depressed or concern, I forgot the exact wording, but something like that. If you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) And you know what? If if all you're doing is looking at the natural realm, that's true. Because, I mean, we live in a fallen world, and there's a lot of bad things happening. But, man, God is so good. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. His firmament shows uh, His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. Did you know he had a beautiful day today? This was just a nearly perfect day. It was awesome. God was just speaking loud and clear, and yet there's people that didn't hear from God today. Not because God's not speaking, but because we aren't paying attention, because we're plugged into the news and listening to the latest sex scandal or the latest what happened over here, and we're thinking about those things instead of letting God speak to us through His Word and through creation. Well, God is good. God is good. God loves every one of us and He's trying to reach us. And I believe that He brought you here tonight to receive. You know what I'm going to talk about? Let's turn back over to Proverbs chapter 3 where I received the offering. And I thought I'd just start with this verse. But in Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 7, I read this earlier. It says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. I'm going to talk about the fear of the Lord throughout this entire weekend. And I tell you, I think that this is really important. It's very important. There are over 600 scriptures in the New Testament that talk about fear. You know, it uses the word, be not afraid, or, or fear, or fearist, or things like that. Over 600, but over 300 of those times are not negative where it says, don't be afraid, that fear came on them or something. But there's over 300 of these 600 times in the Bible that some form of the word fear is used, that it's used in a positive way. Where it talks about fearing the Lord as being a good thing and a positive thing. And again, because I teach on grace so much, there's a lot of people... That, you know, we're supposed to accept the love of God. It says in 1 John four eighteen that perfect love casts out fear. And so there's people that take that truth and think that, man, there shouldn't be any fear in our life at all. There shouldn't be terror. There shouldn't be dread. There shouldn't be condemnation and that kind of fear for a believer. But there should be a reverence, an honor, a respect, an awe... Of God, an honoring of God. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures and show you what the fear of God is in a positive way. But we need to have a fear of God and because there isn't a fear of God in people, I'm going to share a bunch of scriptures with you like Psalms chapter 36 verse 1 where it says the transgression of the wicked says within my heart that there is no fear of God before them. One of the reasons that people do this, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 6 says it, the fear of God causes people to depart from evil. And anyway, we need a godly type of fear. Not a condemnation, not terror or dread, but a godly type of fear. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 11. This is a prophecy about Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 11... And if you're familiar with Scripture, it's very obvious that this is a prophecy of the Messiah. I won't take time to confirm that, but if you study it, you could confirm all of this. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, "...there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord." Now this is talking about Jesus. And it says that he will have a fear of the Lord in verse 3. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And so this is talking about Jesus, and twice it mentions that He has a fear of the Lord. This is certainly not talking about a dread, a terror, or condemnation. You know, you need to rightly divide things. And I admit that there is a negative use of the word fear, and again, because of the society we live in, we nearly emphasize things to the negative every single time. But there is a positive use of fear. There is a godly type of fear, and it's talking about a reverence. Jesus here was not terrified of His Father, but He was in awe of His Father. Matter of fact, I'll share some scriptures with you as we go through this, where it tells you to honor the gray head and fear the Lord. Did you know part of fearing the Lord is showing respect and honor to other people? Specifically, your parents are the people that are in authority. Did you know I could stop right here and we could spend the entire weekend talking about how that there is such little respect for authority and people today, I mean, it has been encouraged and there's people sitting right in this room who your life has been changed and you love God, but you have been rebellious in your heart since you were a teenager. You're now forgiven, but you still have that spirit of rebellion. And it's because there isn't a fear of God. It's because like that scripture I was using in Proverbs chapter 3, you are wise in your own eyes. You think your opinion is better than anybody else's and you just don't respect other people. You don't honor other people. You know, some of the people in our organization that have been in some of our schools have disagreed with some things that we've done. Wendell and I, this is Wendell Parr over here. Of course, those of you here at Calvary Cathedral know him, but he runs all of our schools for us worldwide. And we've discussed this, and there are things that people say, and they may have a truth, that we don't do everything right. You know, we just got through with the um, director of our Uganda Bible School. He died this summer. And it threw us into turmoil and I was just over there last week dealing with some things and you know not everything was done right and we had some graduates that were there that they went just to help. They didn't have any clue that they were going to be running the Bible school but when Leland died they had to take over and they aren't really leaders. They admitted that, said it themselves but they were there and they stepped up to the plate and they did a great job. Man, I praise God for them that they didn't run, they stayed and they did what needed to be done. But you know what? They didn't do it all perfectly. And so somebody has a gripe or a complaint about this or that and things like this. And you know what? They may have had a truth, but they didn't respect the leadership that was there. You don't have to necessarily agree with everybody. They don't have to do everything right, but you need to respect authority over you. And there's not very many people that have that attitude. There are people that if they just find one thing wrong, they're looking for something wrong and they find one thing wrong. Well, then that gives them the right to criticize you, to go and talk behind your back, undermine your authority. You know what that is? That is a lack of fear of the Lord. You don't reverence God and you don't reverence the people. You don't respect and honor other people. We got a lot of loose cannons that just go around and they're they're the standard and everybody has to match up to them, i tell you what, I'm preaching better than you're listening. (laughs) But there are some of you that love God and your life has been changed, but you have lived with a rebellious attitude for 30, 40, 50, 60 years and you can't understand why things don't work and it's because you don't respect and honor other people. You know, today, everything in our society is so humanistic, they're looking at only the physical side of everything. They don't understand that there's a spiritual truth and reality and a spiritual world. And so they're they're trying to find an organic, chemical, physical answer for everything that goes on. And one of the things, this is just one area, but they talk about diet and exercise and they are obsessing to the point that they are now beginning to tax foods that they don't consider are good for you and ban this and forbid children to have certain foods and do all of these things. And they're just getting extreme with this because they only think that physical things affect your health. And yet the Bible says, Proverbs seventeen twenty-two, I believe it is, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Yeah. It says in uh, Exodus chapter 20 around verse 12 or 10, 12 somewhere. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which God has given you. It says in Psalms chapter 34, if you love life and long days and you want to see your life lengthened, then honor the Lord and fear him and hate evil and depart from evil. You don't hear that emphasized. They only talk about the physical things, about the food that you eat and about your exercise, and yet the spiritual things are more important than the physical. This is just andiology. You can throw this away if you want to. I don't have a scripture to tie this to, but I firmly believe that physical uh, health and longevity is about maybe 30%. I'm just pulling this from my own uh, understanding. Maybe 30% diet and exercise. And more important than that is your spiritual well-being, whether you are honoring God, whether you are honoring people, whether you're walking in joy and peace. The medical profession will come along and say that stress causes your immune system to not work as well and it makes you susceptible to stuff. And people don't even take all that stuff into account. You know, they recently went over to Japan and did a survey because the Japanese have the lowest uh, rate of heart disease of any developed country. And so they went over to analyze why they had such low heart disease rate and they figured out that it's because they eat so much fish. And so now they come up with these fish oils and all of this stuff. And they never even factored into the account that it says honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land. And the Japanese go to an extreme in this, to the point that they even worship ancestors. But you talk about honoring your parents and stuff, and they never factored that into it. They only look at the physical, natural things. I tell you, a greater common denominator, when they had the the tsunami, the earthquake, and then the tsunami and stuff, did you know that the Japanese had very little looting If that would have happened in the United States because there isn't an honor, a respect for God or for other people, I guarantee you it would have been devastating, the looting and the things that went on. And in Japan, there was hardly any of it. I'm not saying that they're a perfect culture. They need Jesus the same as anybody else, but it's built into their culture to honor the elderly, to respect their parents, to respect other people And because of it, that's one of the reasons that they have the lowest heart uh, problems, and it's not fish oil. (laughs) That might be a portion of it. I think maybe 30% of it, but I bet you 70 or 80% of your health is more important about the spiritual, emotional things than just the physical things. Now, that's not all that there is to it. You do need to take care of yourself. But I'm saying we have just looked at things from a humanistic standpoint. We live in a world that does not have a godly perspective. And sad to say, most Christians are so plugged into our society that we've adopted the humanistic attitudes and opinions. And it's not correct. We need to honor God, and when you honor the elderly, when you honor other people, when you respect authority, when you respect the people put in position of authority over you, did you know it is fearing God? It is honoring God. It's reverencing God. When you talk about the cops in a way that is detrimental and just gripe and complain, does this mean that every policeman is absolutely perfect? No. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that if you resist the power, you are resisting God. God is the one who established governments. For those of you who can remember what it was like under the Soviet Union, did you know I don't believe that that's a godly form of government? It was oppressive. I've been over there behind the Iron Curtain. I saw people's lives that were messed up. We had the KGB take our car apart, bolt by bolt. We've, had, we've been in there. We've been intimidated. We've had things happen. I'm not saying it's a good form of government. But God ordained governments. He didn't ordain every government to function the way that they do, but He ordained governments. And it was proven that when the Soviet Union all of a sudden broke up and there was a void of government, did you know that communism was better than anarchy? And a lot of these nations went into anarchy and there was bloodbaths and there was people killed because government authority system is ordained by God. Now, not every authority functions properly and there's room for change and we can pray for change and stuff like that, but you cannot sit there and just overthrow governments and in that void, there comes all kinds of problems. And in America today, we've got a total disregard for authority. We got an independent attitude that we are the center of the universe and nobody can tell me what to do. And you know what? It's not a fear of God. If you were to read in Romans chapter 13, let me just read some of this rather than refer to it. But in Romans chapter 13, let me read some of this about authority that God set over us. In verse 1, he says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Again, this is not saying that God ordained communism. This is not saying that God ordained dictators. We were just in Uganda and man, some of my friends over there went through Idi Amin's rule and saw every single member of their family killed in front of them and they laid down and played dead and... Were able to survive. That doesn't mean that God ordained Idi Amin to go out and kill people, but it means that God ordained governments. It's you know, it's no different than a minister. God calls people to be leaders in the church. He raises up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So God ordained this governmental system in the body of Christ. But does that mean that every pastor? functions exactly the way that God wants them to? Does that mean that every one of them is perfect and so therefore you have to just submit to everything that they say? No, this isn't saying that people don't make mistakes and that there's not room for improvements. But I'm telling you this, that rather than you go in, if somebody does something wrong, rather than you standing up as a member of the church and splitting the church and coming against the government system and saying, I don't like the way you're doing it and so I'm criticizing you, You're worse than the person and what they're doing wrong. The strife and division that you are ushering in is terrible. Did you know in church, I'm amazed at this. We see this in our ministry and right now we've got, the ministry is going really good and we're doing good. So I'm not saying this based on anything current. But I've experienced this in my ministry. I've experienced it in church that you would never go into a business and do the things that you do in church. You would never go into a business and if you don't like your boss and the, something he told you to do, you wouldn't go around and murmur to everybody and say, I don't like this and I don't believe he should be doing this. You go around and start criticizing your boss like that and speaking behind his back and saying, this ought to change and stuff, and I guarantee you, you'd get fired in a hurry. There's a lot of you that you don't have to like your boss. You don't agree with everything they do, but you know what? They're the boss, and if you want a job, you just work there. And if it's totally immoral, well, then you've got an obligation to leave that place or to do something, but you don't have the right to go to the CEO and tell him that he's wrong and start correcting him and telling him what to do. You understand your position in authority, and you recognize that somebody's in authority over you, and so you submit yourself. But in church, a pastor is fair game. If you don't like it, you go to criticizing him, speaking behind his back. I couldn't tell you how many times people have gotten hold of my teaching and it's different than what they're hearing in their church. And so they say, I'm going to stay there. God called me to stay there and I'm going to change that church. And I tell them, that is not God. I said, that is not a godly attitude. I've pastored churches and it takes a miracle for the pastor to change the church. (laughs) I tell you, it is a first class miracle for a pastor to change the hearts of people. And for you as a member of the church to stand up and start criticizing and speaking against it and getting your little group over here and saying, let's change this. And the pastor isn't right about this and he's wrong and we ought to do this and you're going to do that. And man, intercessors. That gives you a covering. In prayer, you can say everything you would ever gossip about and do it all in the name of the Lord and get by with it. I tell you what, intercessors have split a lot of churches. And if you were to do that in your secular business, they'd fire you in a heartbeat. But when it comes to church, it's just like, well... He's a brother in the Lord just the same as I am. What makes him think that he's any better than me? It doesn't mean that he's better. It just means that he's got a position of authority. I'm not better than any person in my ministry, but you know what? It's my name that's on the door. And I'm responsible. And if people don't like the way I do things, I'm not saying I do everything right, but you know what? It's my ministry. God's the one that called me to it. The pastor of the church is the one that God set in leadership and you ought to submit to his authority or get out. Amen. And if you don't like the pastor, then get out and let him stay in unity and believe the wrong thing rather than get in and sow strife. James 3.16 says, where Indian and in strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. You open up a door to cancers, to diseases, to poverty, to divorce, to homosexuality, To adultery, you open up the door to every evil work when you sow discord among the brethren. The Bible says six things God hates. Seven are an abomination. And the seventh thing that made it an abomination to Him is Him that sows discord among the brethren. You know what that is? That's a lack of fearing God. You don't respect God. You don't respect the people that God put in positions of leadership. You don't have to like everything that they do, but you don't speak against the leader. That doesn't mean that you're just going to drink the Kool-Aid. If they're doing something wrong, don't follow them, but don't be mean about it. Don't be critical about it. If you don't like your boss and if it's something that is just totally ungodly, don't do it. But you can go to them and say, look, I respect you and you're the boss and I'm not. But you've asked me to falsify something and I cannot do that. And you either make an exception for me because I am not going to operate in a lack of integrity or whatever or I'll just leave, but I'm not going to criticize you. I'm not going to do anything, but I cannot violate my own conscience. You know what? That's a godly attitude. It would be a godly thing to go to a pastor and say, Pastor, I love you and praise God. You're the one that God put in the position of authority over this church, not me. It's not my place to tell you what to do, but I can't in good conscience support what you're teaching. And you know, if the guy is really a good minister, maybe he'll sit down and if you don't attack him, maybe he'll say, so what do you believe? Show, show me and maybe they'll open up and receive it. But if, if he doesn't agree with you, then the right thing to do would be to leave. Or either, you know, some things aren't worth fighting over. There's some things that are in, you know, maybe you don't like the color of the carpet. Maybe you don't like the style of music. That's not worth splitting something over. But I mean if it's a doctrinal issue and if you just can't reconcile it, leave. But don't sow discord. I got a little off the subject, but really this is on the subject. It says that the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. You know, we just had something happen back in August. I won't go into the details, but anyway, I, I did something that is 100% in agreement with the Scripture. I have done it a thousand times. All of you have. There's nothing wrong. But Obama put forth an executive order. He did not go through Congress. He changed things on his own, as a dictator, and restricted the way that ministries can do certain things. And I did it in good faith. And anyway, when my accountant found out what I did, they hit the roof. And they said, you can't give... I gave a large sum of money to an individual. And they said, you can't do this because he passed a uh, ordinance about you know, these CEOs that get undue compensation... And so he, he limited the amount of money that you can give an individual. And I gave it as an offering to a person who's really spoken into my life. And uh, anyway, my accountant found out about it, got upset, hit the roof, came to me. You can't do this. And man, I said, I can tithe off of what God gives me. I said, I will do it. And they said, no, there's a new executive order and you can't do stuff like this. And I said, I'll go to jail. I said, but I will give. You will not keep me from giving. I said, there's some things worth fighting for. And I said, I'll go to jail if I have to, but I will pay a tithe off of money that God gives me. And if I want to give it all to one individual, I'll do it. And anyway, the accountants found a way for me. What we had to do is take all that money personally. And then I had to pay 70% tax out of my pocket on the money I'm giving to somebody else. But you know what? I went ahead and did it. I'd rather pay 70% tax and do what God told me to do than back off and not do it. And so anyway, I'm saying that I don't just drink the Kool-Aid and follow everything. But you know what? I am not going to sit there and form a revolt. And let's overthrow the government and let's do this. No, I've submitted myself. And if they would have put me in jail, I'd have gone to jail and had a jail ministry. I'm not saying that you just do whatever they tell you to do, but I am saying that I do not resist the power. The power is ordained of God. It may not be used correctly, But the power is ordained of God. And if you are going to really have a fear of God, you've got to learn not only to submit to God, but to submit to people that are in authority over you, whether you like it or not. You know, in the book of Acts, the disciples were commanded by the Pharisees not to preach anymore in the name of the Lord. They were commanded to do it. And then they beat them. And it says in Acts chapter 3 that they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name's sake. And then in the fourth chapter, they went back to their company. And what did they do? They got all of the Christians together. You know what a lot of people would do today? Let's overthrow these people. Let's get them out of office. Man, let's come against them. Let's form a revolt. We don't have to put up with this. Storm the castle. But you know what they did? They began to pray. They, said, they quoted from Psalms chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the wicked imagine a vain thing? And they prayed for him and says, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto us that we will have boldness to speak your word with power by stretching forth your hand to heal that signs and wonders might be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus They didn't rebel, they didn't form a revolt, they didn't criticize those people, they didn't try and overturn the government, which they're, you know, we talk about problems that we have with our government, boy, it makes it look really good compared to the Roman government and the way things did. And yet they didn't resist the power, they didn't rebel, but they didn't obey anything that was ungodly. You can disobey in a way that you are still submitted to the power. And they prayed and they went ahead and continued to preach the gospel. They did not respond. If our government ever tells me that I can't preach the gospel, I'll still do it. And if they throw me in jail, take away my 501c3 or whatever, I'm not going to be intimidated by them. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Amen. Man, we've got to fear God more than we fear people. But there is a right and a wrong way to disobey. That's good. And those disciples showed a good way. They didn't, they didn't form a revolt. They didn't criticize the government. They prayed for the government. Prayed that God would touch them. And then they said, give us boldness to go ahead and do what's right. And they went ahead and did what's right. Do you know over in England, I've got a television network over there, the God Channel. They now have a God Channel USA, but they used to be God Channel in England is where it started, and I've been on there for 11 years broadcasting on their network. Rory and uh, Wendy Alec uh, have been friends of mine, not real close friends, but I've known them for a long time, and anyway, they've helped me to be on there. But when they were based in the U.K., did you know that in the U.K. it is against the law to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life on television? You can't say that. It's against the law because that is restrictive. And it's saying that the Bible is right and everybody else is wrong and that's a hate crime. So they don't allow you to say that. You could say that the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but you couldn't make it just a statement that it's absolutely true. I actually had a um, book on my uh, table and they blurred it out because it had an offensive title on it that was contrary to their hate laws. I said something about homosexuality being wrong and they took my program off the air. I said something about abortion, being murder, and they took my program off the air. I mean, while it was playing, the government agency calls up and stops it. And you know what? In the UK, they've just got such restrictive things that they won't allow you to do. And if America ever got that way, I guarantee you, I'd still go ahead and say it. And they might kick me off the television, they might do something but I'm going to continue to do what God tells me to do, but I'm not going to do it in a way that I hate America and I have thumbed my nose at you and I refuse to submit to you. I'm just going to obey God and if it costs me something, if it puts me in jail, I'll do it. That's the fear of God and yet I'm doing it in a way that I'm not rebellious at our nation. I'm not against it. I pray for our nation. But if it ever comes to a choice between God and this country, I'm a Christian more than I'm an American. Amen. And I will honor God above this country. And so it says in verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, not only because you could be punished or put in jail or something done to you, but just because conscience sake. God told you to obey the authority and the leaders over you. For uh, this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers standing, uh, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Man, you can, I could can take these things and just expound on it forever, but did you know a person who will not pay their taxes is a person that isn't fearing God and isn't honoring God and isn't following God? That usually goes over about like that. Now, I'm not for all of the taxes that we've got, and I believe it's okay to take whatever exemptions they give you and things like that. And so I'm not saying that you just pay the maximum amount, you know, use wisdom and, and use the deductions that they give you and stuff. But for you to avoid taxes is wrong. It is contrary to God's word, and you are not fearing God and honoring God and honoring those that are put over you. This statement where it says, oh no man anything, we often pull that out and talk about that this means don't go in debt and pay your bills and do things like that. And that's a just application. It's okay to say that. But in context, it's talking about taxes, custom to whom custom and all of these things. This is talking about pay your taxes. And if you don't pay your taxes, you aren't fearing God. You aren't honoring God and honoring the people that God has put over you. Thank you for that thunderous silence. This is what the Bible says. So when I'm talking about fearing God, I'm not talking about condemnation and going around terrified that God's going to get you and under the wrath of God. I'm just talking about, are you honoring God? Here's some other scriptures. Let me read some of these scriptures to you in the New Testament about fearing God. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31... It says, this is right after Saul had been converted and turned to Christianity. It says, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Did you know in the New Testament, it talks about walking in the fear of God. This is not talking about a terror, a dread, afraid that God's going to punish them. The church was redeemed. They were walking in grace the way that the body of Christ is not walking in grace today, and yet it speaks of them walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost, produce multiplication. So that's a positive use of fear. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Again, a New Testament scripture written by the Apostle Paul talking about fearing God in a positive way produces holiness in your life. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This was talking about husbands and wives. Husbands and wives are supposed to fear God. It was commanded by the Apostle Paul to fear God in a marriage relationship. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Again, this isn't talking about a dread, a condemnation or something like that, but it's talking about honoring the Lord. Look at this passage in... um, Psalms chapter 115, verse 11. It says, Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. I believe that from this you can say that fearing God is trusting in God. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Fearing the Lord is trusting the Lord. It uses them interchangeably. And here's another verse that does the same thing. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. It's using the word fear in the first part of this verse, fearing man, you could say it this way, whoever trusts in man is going to get a snare. You're going to get trapped if your trust, if your reliance is upon men and upon what men can do. You're going to be snared. But if you trust in the Lord, you will be saved. So again, this is showing that fearing the Lord is talking about where is your trust. And man, there's just so many scriptures... You know, I've used those verses already in Proverbs chapter 3, about trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your steps. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord, and depart from evil, and then honor the Lord with your first fruits. When he's talking about trusting in the Lord in that same context, it says, but fear the Lord. And then it talks about honoring the Lord. When a person doesn't give their offering and they say, I want to give, but you don't understand. I've lost my job. I'm on welfare and I just don't have much to give. You've got a lot of money. I guarantee you, even a person on unemployment has a lot of money coming in compared to other places. I just got back from Uganda. And you see people living in shacks, cardboard shacks and tin shacks that they put up. You are rich. I don't care if you're on welfare. You are richer than 90% of the world's population right now. And for you to say, I don't have anything to give is incorrect. You got a lot of money coming through your hands. But the problem is you aren't honoring the Lord. You aren't trusting the word of God and what it says. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. You don't trust that. You've got money. You may not have as much as you'd like. You may not have had as much as you did have. But you do have money. And the bottom line is you don't trust God. You don't trust what the Word says. You aren't honoring God. You don't have a fear of God. I'm not talking about a condemnation that He's going to get you. God's not mad at you, but you don't honor Him. You don't trust Him. You don't rely upon Him. You trust that money more than you trust God. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. There's people sitting right in this auditorium. Well, I want to get, but I need this money. Why? You know, if I had the resource, I don't have the resources to do this yet. But if I had the resources to say that any person who comes up here and gives me a hundred dollars, I'll give you $10,000 in return. That's a hundred fold return. If you trusted me, you would find a way to come up with a hundred dollars. You would come up with a hundred dollars. If you had to, you'd punch your neighbor and say, Give me a hundred dollars and I'll give you back two hundred dollars. And you know what? You'd still come out nine thousand eight hundred dollars ahead. If you really believe me, if you trusted me, you would come up with a hundred there's not a person in here that couldn't come up with a hundred dollars, even if you had to go borrow it. If you trusted me. And Jesus has said that there is not a single person, no man that has left house or father or mother or brother or sister or lands for my sake in the gospel. There is not a single person but what he will receive a hundredfold in this life. Not just in the one to come, but in this life. That is a promise from God. And if you are saying, I just can't give. It is not that you can't give. It's that you won't give because you trust that money, more than you trust God. You, you fear money. You fear being without money more than you fear God. That's the bottom line. I'm just trying to make it plain. We, we get into these mind games and we deceive our own selves and think, I just can't do it. You can give. God didn't tell you you had to give $100 or $1,000. He put down percentages if all you've got's a dollar bill, you've got a tithe. If you've got a dime, you've got a tithe. Every single person can give. It just comes down to where is your trust? What is it that you fear? And most people actually put their trust in God in money more than they do in God. It's actually a misnomer on our coins when it says, "In God we trust. Most people trust in that coin more than they trust in God. That is not having a fear of God. And I'm going to share a lot of scriptures. I've got well over a hundred scriptures on these pages about the fear of the Lord and what it will do and how it releases you and causes the blessing of God to manifest in everything else. And this isn't talking about a terror, a dread, being condemned. It's just talking about honoring God. It's talking about trusting God. It's talking about a reverence. Matter of fact, if you look in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, this is right after it said, I believe in verse 21, about submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In the same instance where it's talking about marriage, it says in verse 33, "...nevertheless, let every one of us, let every one of you in particular, so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband." That word reverence right there is the only time that word was translated reverence in the entire Bible. Every other time it was translated fear. This is what the fear of God is. It's talking about an awe, a reverence, a respect, honoring, trusting God. And brothers and sisters, most of us have gotten away from the fear of God, from trusting God. We're afraid to do what God says. We're afraid that somebody is going to be offended. We have become so politically correct that you can say whatever you want to, but the bottom line is we fear men more than we fear God. We fear criticism. You know, in America, America was built on the preaching of the gospel. And if you've ever listened to David Barton, he for, I forget the exact figures, but the Constitution quoted New, Test, uh, uh, New England preachers over 78 times are direct quotes in our Constitution. It was founded upon revival, upon people that were preaching the Word of God. And the Word of God was all throughout there. And yet, over a period of time, it has gotten to the point that people think that for a preacher to have an opinion on a social issue is crossing the bounds between separation of church and state and that we shouldn't do that. That's all a lie. This nation was founded on those kind of things. We've got every right... Matter of fact, we've got a responsibility from God to have an opinion on abortion and on homosexuality and on adultery and on economics and stuff like that. But most preachers have been cowed into submission to where they won't say things like this. They're afraid they'll lose their 501c3. Obama has tried to take away religious exemptions and tried to take away the uh, discount for giving to a religious uh, deal. And you know what? I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's wonderful that we give a benefit to churches because, man, I could spend... Hours and hours and hours on this. But if it wasn't for the churches here in Fort Worth, this city, we don't even have a clue what it would be like. Man, the gospel is such a restraint on evil. The good that is done through this church, the Stitches program, and so many other things that you do, ministry and prisons, and on and on and on and on it goes... It makes a difference in the quality of this entire area. And man, the government is smart to give us a benefit and help us. You know, we just had a situation where the HUD, Housing and Urban Development, took away funding from a place where one of our Bible College graduates uh, funds uh, women that have been, what is it, dope addiction? And they're coming out of that dope addiction... And she has a home where she brings these people in and rehabilitates them and helps get them jobs and do things. And anyway, HUD has been funding her, each one of these homes, for $25,000 a year. They've been giving them money because it's, a, it's helping these low-income, uh, mostly single mothers and things like that. And so uh, this lady rehabilitates them. And in the Sunday paper, they just came out that HUD... Found out. They knew that she was doing Bible studies, but they thought it was voluntary. They found out that it's mandatory. She mandates Bible studies. So they came to her and they told her that you're, we're going to take away your funding if it's mandated. We can't do anything where you mandate that a person has to study the Bible. And Marilyn told them, says, I won't compromise. Says this is the only thing that's changing them she has a 70 to 80% cure rate with all of the women that go through her program as opposed to like 5% that go through a secular program. And she says it's the spiritual impact that is making the difference and I won't compromise. And so they cut her funding off, took away from her that $25,000 deal. And you know what? I'm saying this to glorify God and to praise God. But when I heard about it, I said I'll make up what the government did. And we support her now and we're giving what HUD used to do. And this is the way that it ought to be that. You know what? If man, I'm not going to let the government bully and intimidate me into things and say that we're going to take away this. If they take away my tax exemption, I'll still preach the gospel and God will supply my needs and I can do it. Amen. So what if they take away our tax exemption, who gives a rip? Paul didn't have a tax exemption and he changed the world. Man, we need to fear God. We need to honor God, trust God, respect God, reverence God more than you respect this political correctness and what other people have to say. We need to stand up and take a stand. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ as a whole has not feared God respected God, honored God, trusted God. We have been cowed into submission. There are many of you that when you go to work, you're afraid to say what you believe because you're afraid of the criticism that might come your way because somebody might tell you to quit preaching or whatever. Now, you've got a responsibility to turn in a good day's work. And if you're preaching on the job, not doing your job, that's not right. But I'm saying just you in conversation, taking a stand for righteousness and standing up for godliness and saying that abortion is murder and saying that homosexuality is wrong and just standing for righteousness, man, you shouldn't be afraid to do that. And yet there's a lot of people that are more afraid of men and their rejection than they are of God. They reverence men more than they reverence God. And if every person in here, I don't know all of the people where you live, but if every person in here was to take this message and start recognizing that, you know what, I need to honor God. I need to respect Him. I need to show Him more reverence than I do this lost person over here. And if every person in here was to go out, I guarantee you, you would just go back through all throughout this metroplex. The number of people right here, if we stood up for righteousness and godliness, and I'm not talking about in a condemning way where you're browbeating people, but in love. You just stand up and say, I love you. But you're wrong. Amen? Tell a person the truth. You know, the Lord spoke this to me years ago. And he said, you do not have the right to reject the truth for another person. What that meant to me was I was afraid to tell some people the truth because I thought it might cause them to be offended. And so rather than tell them the truth and give them the privilege and the honor of rejecting the word on their own, I rejected it for them. I wouldn't share it with them. And God says, you don't have the right to reject that truth for another person. For you to sit there and say, well, this person may not understand. They might be offended. You just rejected it for them. You didn't tell them the truth. You didn't even give them the privilege, the honor, the chance of rejecting it on their own. And you don't have that right. You ought to tell a person the truth. In Leviticus chapter 19... Let me read this to you. I'm not sure that I can quote it exactly, but this is the Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 19. And I believe it's verse 17. It says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, but thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. That says that if you don't rebuke your neighbor, If you don't tell them the truth, you hate them. Or you could rephrase it this way, you love yourself more than you love them. You would rather go without that little look, that little glance, that little criticism, the little roll of the eyes. You love yourself so much that you don't want to suffer somebody rolling their eyes at you or saying, oh man, a fanatic and so you're just not going to tell them the truth. And you can say what you want to, but it comes down to you you love yourself more than others. And then look at the next verse in verse 18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Jesus quoted that, and we know this, that you love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but we don't recognize the context. The context in the previous verse says, if you don't do this, you hate your neighbor. You aren't telling them the truth. And we, you can wrap that any way you want to, but the bottom line is we actually fear the rejection of people more than we fear God. We want the acceptance of people more than we want the acceptance of God. Those are some strong statements. But that's what these verses are talking about. And so the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. In Acts chapter 13, let me read this to you. Here's other New Testament scriptures that are talking about a positive fear of the Lord. Acts chapter 13 and verse 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, "Men of Israel and ye that uh, fear God give audience. Here's the apostle Paul talking to an audience and says, You that fear the Lord, listen to me. That wasn't a bad thing. It was a positive thing. He was talking about people who honored God, people that respected God, people who put God first in their life, people who trusted God, responded to God more than they responded to people. He says, hear me. And then down in verse 26 of this same chapter, it says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you that feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. There again, he is using the word fear in a positive way. So anyway, tonight is just kind of introduction. Tomorrow, I'm going to start getting into some of the exact scriptures about what the fear of the Lord is, how to do it. But I've just been trying tonight to show that the fear of the Lord is something that is commanded hundreds of times in scripture. It is not talking about being dreading God, being under condemnation being fearful that God's going to hurt you or punish you. He's placed all of our punishment upon Jesus. But you know what? We should honor God. We should reverence God. We should respect God. We should trust God. We should exalt God above any other person. And there isn't a lot of that in our society today. We don't honor God. We lean unto our own understanding. We walk in our own eyes, wisdom, and we live in rebellion at the authority that God has placed in our life. and we wonder why we have a lot of the problems that we have. It's because there are in the fear of God. Man, the fear of God is healthy. The fear of God, one of the scriptures I'll be reading, it'll prolong your life. You'll live longer if you fear God and honor God and put God first. You don't have to be afraid of people. You can get to a place to where your job came from God. It says in Psalms chapter, I'd have to look this up, it's either 75 or 76. Promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the south. But it's the Lord that sets up one and puts down another. You could look at God as your source and say, God, I trust you. I depend upon you. I honor you. Even though I work a job and even though a man gives me a paycheck, they are not my source. You are. And you could fear God to a point that it doesn't matter what the economy is doing. You sleep good at night because God is your source. You aren't fearful about losing that job. You believe God is going to supernaturally preserve your place and if He doesn't, well then it's because there's something better for you and He'll give you something better. But you don't have to worry. You don't... You know, when this recession hit, the people who didn't fear God and put their fear in man and in this world system started throwing themselves out windows and committing suicide and doing these things because their fear wasn't in God. It was all in this world system. And when this world system crumbles, then all of the people whose faith and trust and fear is in the world crumble along with it. I'm saying this in love to you tonight. You may think I'm not. In love, but I'm telling you the truth. I love you and that's the reason I'm telling you the truth. If you fall apart like a $2 suitcase because of what's going on in our world today over the economy or over the politics or over Greece failing and how is this going to affect us and if those things cause your heart to fear, it's because you fear the natural realm. Your trust is more in the natural than it is in God. You can change that tonight. You can get to where you have a fear of God and you say, man, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what men can do unto me. If you're anxious and worried and got ulcers and you're depressed and struggling with all of these things, it's because you do not fear God. You fear men. You fear circumstances. Your fear is in physical, natural things more than it is in God. When your fear is in God, there will be a peace that passes all understanding. And you'll be able to rise above the things of this world. I'm telling you, it's a healthy thing. God wants you to fear Him, to reverence Him, to trust Him, to honor Him, to put Him in first place in your life. And man, I'm going to share so many scriptures with you about what the fear of God produces in your life. But this is powerful and it's something that's missing in even a lot of Christians' lives. There's a lot of Christians that got born again, got their sins forgiven, but the truth is they don't fear God as much as they fear men and fear other things. You need to put God first in your life. And if you'll do that, I guarantee you, you are going to see God supernaturally come through and you'll rise above all of these things here in the world. I'm just amazed at how Christians seem... They, they profess that they're born again, but in experience, they're as sick as the people who aren't born again. They're as poor as the people who aren't born again. They are as stressed out as the non-Christian. They're as mean as the non-Christian. They're as depressed as the non-Christian. I've actually held meetings before when I said, how many of you in here are fighting depression? I quit asking because it's not not unusual to have 80 to 90% of spirit-filled Christians stand and get prayer for being depressed. I'm not mad at you for that, but I'm saying it's a shame. That should not be. Man, if anybody ought to be blessed, if anybody ought to be happy, we're the only ones who got anything to rejoice about. And yet Christians today are as bummed out as non-Christians. Something's wrong with this. There ought to be a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. One's alive, the other one's dead. You ought to be able to tell the difference between somebody who's alive and somebody who's dead. But it really comes down to what we're talking about, that many Christians put their faith in the Lord for eternity, but in this life they do not have a fear of God. God is not the one that they fear the most. They fear all of these things. They're plugged into the natural world. They've assumed the attitude of the unbelievers, and I tell you, you can revert that, reverse that. You can fear God, and the fear of God will promote you and bless you. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray over all of these people here tonight, Father, that you would teach us the fear of the Lord. Father, thank you for the scriptures where it talks about you can teach the fear of the Lord. Father, I pray that during these meetings this week that we will learn how to fear the Lord. That, Father, we will begin to exalt you and put you first and that the fear of men will leave us. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and teach us how to fear you properly, how to reverence you, honor you, trust you, exalt you the way that we're supposed to. And Father, we thank you. I believe that this is going to make a difference in our hearts. I believe that the fear of men is leaving. And that the fear of God is coming in its place. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us hearts to understand and receive. And we believe that this is going to make a difference in the lives of people here. Father, we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if you aren't born again tonight, you need to receive the gift of salvation.